Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. As we do, Philippians chapter 1, open up together with me. We're going to be reading from verse 6 through verse 11. And I know we're, we're spread out. I know you're, you're in your living rooms. But would you stand together as we honor the word of the Lord? Uh, whether we are uh, together or apart, God's word is worthy of our honor. So let's read together. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Church, hear now the word of the Lord. And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, in the early 1920s in Scotland, they began building what they called their national monument. The plan was to make a replica of what you see on your screen, the Parthenon in Athens. Each stone was to be exactly the same size as the original in Greece, and it was to be a tribute to the fallen Scots in the Napoleonic Wars. Unfortunately, they only raised about half the money that they needed to build it, and so instead of building the entire replica, they built 12 columns, and to this day, it stands over a hill looking over Edinburgh unfinished, and instead of being known as the National Monument, it is affectionately known as the National Disgrace, because it began the work of building, but it didn't see it through. It didn't complete it. Oh, how many weary Christians secretly believe that this is your story, that this is their story, that your life exists in some realm of unfinished building, that Jesus has begun, and yet for some reason you're just too far gone, you're just too messed up. It it was a good idea. The gospel was a good idea. Uh, Jesus was a good idea. Church was a good idea. I was just too messed up for it to be helpful to me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like giving up? Christian, maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe it feels like your life is so overwhelming at moments that you just say, I think I'm too far gone. I'm just going to go through the motions. 
Perhaps your past accuses you. Perhaps your conscience condemns you and your sins seem insurmountable. In those moments of despair, your heart knows 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, through 10, oh so well that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, Paul says, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you feel desperate and hopeless in those moments. But if you are a Christian, your problem is that you stop too quickly. You didn't keep reading because the next verse says, verse 11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, God will not leave you as that unfinished project. And here's why. If he did, it would mean that he has failed. Not you, but he has failed. That his power and his blood were not sufficient. That his cross was not sufficient. Here's the truth. Your life and my life may bear the scars of your sins and mine, but his hands also bear scars. They testify that your sin is forgiven. This is why I wanted you to grab a piece of paper, adults. This was going to be your your fill-in-the-blank, but I want you to write this down. I want these words to echo and resonate in your heart. In the personal, my life may bear the scars of my sin, the effects of my sin, the consequences of my sin, but His hands also bear scars. And those scars testify that my sin is forgiven forgiven. Oh, here's what we're going to see in this passage as we look together. We're going to see Paul's hope for the church, the church of God, the church that Acts 20, 28 says that Jesus purchased with his own blood. We're going to see Paul's love for the church and then hear Paul's prayer for the church and not just the church in Philippi in that time, but for you and I. Paul doesn't write this letter of Philippians to Eden Worship Center in 2024. He writes it to the Philippian church. Even though in the introduction of his letter, he doesn't use the word church or ecclesia. As he does in many other letters, he actually addresses this to those who make up the church. So we find in verse 1, it's to the saints, those who are in Jesus Christ. It's to the overseers, uh, the elders, who bear spiritual responsibility for the saints. It's to the deacons, those who bear physical responsibility for the saints. This is to the church. It's not just for spiritual superstars. Have you ever heard a sermon or read something in your Bible and you thought, well, that's for the spiritually elite. That's for those who have everything together. But that can't be for me. No, this letter is for everyone. Friend, this letter is for you. So let's look first at Paul's hope for the church, his hope for you. Beginning in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says in the introduction to this letter, Dad talked about it last week, he begins with, I Paul. It is, it is Paul who is writing this letter. Verse 3, he tells us he's thankful for them. 
Every time he remembers them, he is thankful for them. Verse 4, I'm praying for them. And not just praying for them, I'm praying for them in joy. Verse 5, they are partnering with him. He's partnering with them for the gospel. Verse 7, they're partnering in suffering for the gospel, in defending the gospel. And again in verse 5, it's been that way from the first day until now. If you remember from last week, Dad told us that this was the first church in Europe that Paul had planted. Because he's the apostle to the Gentiles, that means that this is the first church planted in Europe. From that first day until now, God has been faithful. From that first day until now, they have been trusting in Christ and partnering with Paul in the gospel. And so he says with confidence, he who began the good work in you, not not you, this church that's sort of out there on the frontier. No, my, my hope isn't in you. My hope is in Jesus, that he who began the good work in you, from that first day until now, he'll finish it. That good work is not just eternal salvation. It doesn't just mean that you go to heaven when you die. It is transformation starting now. That the old self, the the old sinful man, that Christ has killed upon the cross and then calls us day by day to put that to death. Verse 11 says, instead of all of that, this transformation is going to bring the fruit of righteousness. The result of righteousness, the result of Jesus' work in our life that comes through Jesus Christ. Not through hard work, not even through your faithfulness, although God requires those of us, but true transformation comes from the very hand of Christ himself. And yet, if you're one of those who sits frustrated this morning, discouraged this morning, you may hear that and say, great. But what about the days when I just don't feel it? What about the days when I just can't see it? Well, I'm going to encourage you this morning, start with an honest examination of your heart. Are you in Christ? You may have been in the church. You may have been a member of the church, but that doesn't mean that you are in Christ. The question is not, did you grow up in church? The question is not, do you know all the answers to the Sunday school questions? Or do you have some general belief in God or even a God? There's a lot of people out there today who say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but their life bears no fruit. It bears no evidence of that belief. Does a long look at your life show the evidence of trusting in Jesus or does it show the evidence of not trusting Jesus? What fruit is growing on your tree? Here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. So kids, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that piece of paper. I want you to draw a tree with as many different kinds of fruit on it as you can. And Josiah, let's just leave that picture up for a while so you guys can look at that and kind of pattern after that in drawing your own tree. 
And here's the question I want kids and adults to be asking themselves. What kind of fruit is on the tree of my life? What's the evidence? In fact, I think this would be a test for our Christianity. In good times, are you grateful to God? Or are you saying, I think I did this with my hard work? That, that's why this good time has come to me, because I did all the hard work. In bad times, are you looking to Jesus? Are you clinging to Jesus as your only Savior? Or is your life more typified by complaining, by grumbling, or by looking to other saviors? Things like money and sex and alcohol and attention and affection of other people. When you sin, and everyone will sin, when you sin, are you seeing the fruit in your life of you running to the cross of Christ? Running in repentance, turning from that sin and trusting in Jesus? Or is the fruit on your tree running from Christ and running from his church? When you are fallen into sin, do you quickly hide it? And when you're confronted on it, do you get defensive and angry? Friends, what kind of fruit is hanging on you? Do you have a desire to know God's word? To gather with God's people in worship? And grow with God's people in greater and greater faithfulness to him. Oh, I'm going to read that last one one more time. Because if this is not you, I think you should seriously doubt whether you are in Christ. And let me say that a bit more plainly. I don't think you're a Christian. If you do not have a desire to know God and his word. If you do not have a desire to gather with God's people in worship. And to grow with God's people in greater and greater faithfulness and obedience to him. Now, if not, hear this really plainly, you're in the right place this morning. Now, we're not gathered together in the same room, but if you can hear the sound of my voice, God has brought you to this place that you might hear it. And here's, here's why. Not that he can condemn you and say, look what a bad tree you are. That's where we all start out. A bad tree, a dead tree bearing bad fruit destined to be cut down. But you know what Jesus loves to do? He loves to transform dead trees into good trees. He has brought you to this place that you might call on him, that you might turn to him, repent from your sin. That just means to turn away from your sin and believe the good news, that there's a God who came to save you. Yes, there is victory in Christ. In him, we are more than conquerors, but... You may feel, right, how we feel about it. We may feel broken and incomplete all your life. Yet on that last day, the day of Jesus Christ, you will look back and see that it was not your strength, but his. It was not your finished, completed good work, but his. Oh, imagine standing on that day, limping and worn broken and beaten by this life, but looking into the face of Jesus and saying, in honesty, I don't understand. I prayed so often, God, that you would take this. Oh God, please fix this. And yet you didn't. It almost felt to me like you didn't care. 
Oh, but imagine hearing those words that Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Your whole life has been living proof that my grace was sufficient for you. That my power to save you and keep you was made perfect in your weakness and your inability to save yourself. The race is done. The world was watching. And even though you kept falling and falling, you kept your eyes on me. Enter now and forever into your rest. Christian, that's our hope. Not a perfect, sorted out life, but a life with our eyes fixed on Jesus, trained on Jesus. If that's our hope, we say with Paul, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's what it means to be a partaker together of the grace of God. What kind of fruit is hanging on your tree? Let's look now at Paul's love for the church. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This section is a glimpse into the pastoral heart of Paul the pastor. We know him mostly as Paul the evangelist, Paul the church planter, even Paul the fiery apostle in his letters, correcting the church's wrong doctrine or practice, calling out false teachers by name. Paul doesn't pull any punches in his letters. Even passing judgment on unrepentant sinners. We can be tempted to think, well, he was just mean. He was just full of himself. Like he was thought of himself too much, like he was in charge. And so he writes in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10, I write these things. He's writing to correct something that the Corinthian church was doing. And he's saying, please fix this. I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. In other words, church, if you don't fix this, I'm going to come tear something down in you. But consider this. In this tenderness that we find here in Philippians, this tenderness of affection, it is motivated by a fatherly love and therefore a fatherly correction. Kids, I want you to think about this. What, what do you want from your father? Do you want correction and discipline or do you want love? Which one do you want? Well, it's kind of a trick question because here's what you need. You need both. Right? If you and your brothers and sisters, after we get done with this worship time today, put on all of your snow clothes and go outside even though it is negative six degrees outside, and you say, hey, you know what? There's nobody in the streets. Let's go play in the street, in the cold. And by the way, I don't even think I need my coat. Do you need your father's love who just looks out the window and says, guys, you're so cute out there freezing, possibly dying in the street? Or do you need not only his love, but his correction? Do you need him to come and say, hey, this isn't a good idea, right? We need both. We need correction and we need love. Paul says, it's because I hold you in my heart. It's because I feel this way about you. It's because I yearn for you that I will bring you both the instruction, the love of Jesus Christ, but also the correction that you need. 
And yet notice very carefully, as we think not just about this moment, but the rest of Paul's moments in interacting with churches, his affection for them is not based on personal preference, what is easy, what is comfortable for him, but is reflective of Jesus' own love, of Jesus' care, of Jesus' affection for the church. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Consider what it cost Christ Jesus to love you. It's a costly love. And yet, in our day and age, we seem to want none of that. Most of the fellowship that happens in churches today, even sometimes in EWC, is nothing more than self-serving, self-soothing nonsense that cares nothing about the eternal spiritual state of another person and just about our comfort level. That's why church discipline is almost unheard of in the modern church today. Many in the modern church look at the Apostle Paul as a tyrant when he says to the church, again, 1 Corinthians 4, 21, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with the rod to beat you, is what he's saying, or in love with a gentle spirit? We say, see, he was a tyrant. And yet in the very next verse, and it's separated because that was the end of chapter 4. In the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, he says, I hear <clears throat> that there is open, unreported sexual immorality among you. Not unreported, unrepented. That there's open sexual immorality. It's not being repented of. In fact, you're patting yourselves on the back. You're proud of yourselves for how progressive and inclusive and tolerant you are. And he says, do you want to keep that up? Or shall I come to you with a rod? Put him out of the church or I will come and do it for you is Paul's message. This is harsh. Why is Paul so harsh with them? It's because of this great fatherly love that he has. He cares for their eternal salvation, not just their momentary happiness. Many people think pastors and elders are harsh when the unrepentant sinner is removed from membership because it may hurt somebody's feelings. Here's my question. If you have struggled with that, we've had a couple times of church discipline in our past. And maybe you've been one of them who said, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'd go along with that. Here's the question. How many sleepless nights have you spent in tearful prayer over the broken lives and broken marriages and broken children of our church? Where's your concern? Is it for their momentary happiness that they don't feel uncomfortable in the moment, or is it for their eternal salvation? Paul says to the church in Corinth, hand this person over to Satan that their soul may be saved. Oh, the modern translation of that is, don't do anything to make that person feel uncomfortable. We don't care if their eternal soul is saved. And yet it's that same love that motivates the apostle's heart in thinking about their partnership with him in hard times in defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's that same love that drove him and should drive us to risk friendships, to risk having those hard conversations, to risk not being liked or accepted because we're willing to speak the truth in love. Calling sinners to repentance, but we're not just counting on our own words. We are pleading with God, oh God, open stubborn and hardened hearts. And here's why, because heaven and hell are on the line. 
This is what true Christian fellowship looks like. We don't get there by just doing good and being nice to each other and being well-liked. The only thing that united Paul and the church, the only thing that unites you and I, verse 7 says, is that we are all, if you are in Christ, partakers with me of grace. It's the grace of God that joins us, not church membership. It's the gospel. It's not family. It's not longevity. It's not how long you've come to this church. It's not likability. It's not how many friends you have at this church. It's the gospel. And so Paul says, I'm willing to go to prison for this. I'm willing to go to prison in defense of the gospel for you. I'm willing to have people get mad at me and leave the church because I spoke the truth in love that their souls might be saved. People that I love. I'm willing to be talked bad about on Facebook. To be gossiped about in coffee shops and even other churches. To lose friendships because they love sin more than Jesus. In hopes. This is, this is the hope of our church. In hopes, in prayer that God will take the faithful wounds of a friend. And perhaps in his time, soften hardened hearts. Perhaps in his time, open blinded eyes. Save that which is lost. Paul was willing Your pastors and elders are willing, and my question for you is, are you willing? If not, I believe it's because you're trusting more in man's power to change. We're going to love them through this rather than Christ's power to transform. Paul was not trusting in man's power but God's. And so he says, I have this hope for you, I have this love for you, and finally I have this prayer for you. Verse 9, it is my prayer. Notice he's praying. Remember he said in verse 4, I'm praying for them with joy. There's five aspects of his prayer. Number one, that your love may abound more and more. It was Jesus who said the first fruit that the world would see in a Christian's life, the evidence that he is a Christian is love. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's the second prayer. That that love would be love with knowledge and discernment. This isn't a blind love or blind acceptance that our modern age seems to demand of all of us. This is love with knowledge, a deep understanding of what's happening. An understanding of what God's word says and what's happening in the individual's life. A love with discernment. Being able to tell the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. Because it's modeled after Christ's love for us. So here's the third thing he prays for them in verse 10. So that. I want you to have this love. I want it to be love with knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. The purpose of our love, the purpose of this knowledge, understanding, and discernment is that we might approve what is excellent and therefore, on the flip side, recognize and reject that which is not excellent. But it's not just that we can have this knowledge. The fourth element of his prayer is, and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. It wasn't just that we know these things, but these things transform our lives, that we might once be sinners, but now be pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. 
not because of our goodness or excellence, but trusting wholly in the goodness of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's Paul's hope for the church. Looking through the future, that's Paul's hope for our church. Verse 6, that he who began the good work would bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That last day. The end of this earthly race. And until that day, the fifth element of his prayer, verse 11, that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Here's the best part that comes through Jesus Christ. This is not the result of your hard work, but he who began the good work in you. That's why we sing the song, Yet not I, but Christ through me. Galatians chapter 5, we're familiar with this as the fruit of the Spirit, says this, the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We often look at these and say, these are the fruit of the Spirit, so I'm going to try and do better in these areas. It's like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to, I'm going to do better at patience so that I have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to do better at love or gentleness. That is not what Paul is pointing to in the Galatians. He's saying, this is the evidence of God in you. Not something that you're working up. This is an evidence that you see and those around you see that God is at work in you. Let me give you an illustration of this. Kids, you ever told your brother or sister to stay out of your room? I, I don't know. I don't know why we do this, but it, you tell them, stay out of my room. Then you close the door and you go away. And while you're not watching, your brother or sister goes in your room. Now you come back and something's different. Something's moved around or messed up or maybe missing out of your room. Now you didn't see them in your room, right? But you say, I know you were there because I see the evidence that you are there. That's what Paul's talking about with the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same thing when the Spirit of God indwells a believer, enables a believer. Others will see the evidence that God is there. They'll see evidence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why? Why does God do that in the life of a believer? The last element of Paul's prayer for the saints is that it might be to the glory and praise of God. Sola Deo Gloria. That your life is not meant to be lived for your own glory, but His. Oh kids, how many times have you done something and it's something that's fairly awesome, and you don't want anybody to miss it. So you go, hey, mom, dad, look at me, watch me. And then you do what excellent thing that you're about to do. That's not what our life is meant to be. It's meant at the end to look and say, look what God has done. Look at this great thing that God has done in me and through me. As we close, I want us to consider the gospel implications of this passage and then a few gospel applications of this passage. First, the gospel implications. If it is Christ at work in you, he's able to complete it even when you are not. Oh, that is good news. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Not only is Jesus able to save you, but he has set his affections Upon you, verse 8 says, 
back in Philippians 1. Paul said that he yearned for them, that he held them in his heart, but that is just a human, earthly shadow of the love that God had for them. Isaiah 49, verse 16, gives us a a glimpse into what was coming, where God says to his people, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. O weary Christian, hear it again. God will not leave you an unfinished product. You're not some unfinished project that he began, some unfinished thing that just looms in your life. Your life may bear the scars of your sin, but Jesus' hands also bear scars, and they testify that your sin is forgiven. If that's true of you, there will be gospel transformation in your life. There will be evidence. There will be fruit. Instead of selfishness, generous love, abounds. You'll have the mind of Christ with knowledge and discernment. You'll be a pure spiritual bride because Ephesians 5 verse 25 and 26 says, Christ has loved the church. He has loved you. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This isn't your good effort. That comes after his good work of salvation. You will be pure and clean because Jesus made you pure and clean. Instead of constantly falling short, God will make you faithful and fruitful. Yet consider the gospel applications as well. Oh, there is comfort for that weary Christian. He who began the good work, he will finish it. And he will present you pure and blameless to the Father. Even though you feel like you're struggling right now, here's the, here's the call in that comfort. Keep struggling. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. And yet sometimes we need more than just comfort. We need correction. This is about the glory of God, not you and your happiness in this moment. So if you feel discouraged, don't give up. When you see yourself and in yourself and coming out of yourself a lack of love, A lack of discernment. When you see confusion all around, it should be a giant red flag that says, quit relying on your own wisdom and trust in the power and plan of God. Why do we get discouraged? Because we've begun trusting in ourselves and not in God. And Here's the challenge. This righteousness comes through Jesus Christ to those who are in Jesus Christ. If you look back at your life and see no evidence of God at work in you, here's the call this morning. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and be saved today. Like he can literally save you right now. If your heart is crying out, I don't think I belong to you. I don't think I belong to you. Maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time. Maybe you just know you've been going through the motions and your heart is crying out, I don't think I belong to him. All you have to do is turn Godward and say, oh God, save me. Fix your eyes, fix your heart on Jesus Christ, the one who came to earth, the the perfect son of God who comes to earth that he might live the perfect life. You lived a messed up life and he lives a perfect life. And then it's as if he shoulders all of your sin, all of the guilt and condemnation that you have had in your entire life and that for all those who would believe in him and he carries them to his cross and he nails them in his flesh in the cross. He becomes the perfect sacrifice that paid for your sin. Instead of condemnation for your sin, you get his righteousness placed upon you 
Oh, believe it today. Call out to him today. Maybe this moment has been lovingly designed by God to show you or remind you that your plan and your hard work are not enough to save you. Maybe this moment of discouragement that you find yourself in is intended to point you to Jesus, to stop trusting in yourself. And if that's the case, whether believer or unbeliever, man, I call you, run to the cross today. Trust in him. Cling to him and be saved. Lord, I pray that for your people right now. I pray, God, that even in this moment, that your people would run to you, that they would cling to you. God, I know listening to this, sitting on a couch in your living room, is different than gathering with God's people. But I'm, I'm praying, oh God, by the power of your spirit, not my words, by the power of your spirit, oh God, would you pull on the hearts of those who are far and distant from you? God, would you pull on the hearts of those who don't even know you? Would you convict them right now? Would you call them into salvation? That which you have purposed from the foundation of the earth, I pray this be the moment, God, that it rings true in their hearts and lives, that they would call out to you and say, oh God, save me. I pray, Lord, that you would, for the rest of us who do know you, who have trusted in you, but God, we get discouraged in the moments, you would lift our eyes again, God, to trust in the one who began the good work and who has the power to complete the good work. Oh God, we trust in you. Amen. As we conclude, I want to call you to some family worship after, after we finish and you hit stop on whatever device you're listening to or watching this on. Read together again Philippians 1, 6 through 11. And then ask the question, what is the evidence that you see in your life of God's good work in you? Talk about that together. Uh, Parents with children. If you're single and you're watching this, call another friend. And in fact, for everybody, who are the one or two people who God has connected you with as partakers with me of grace, as Paul said, that I can share my life and my struggles and my joys with as well? So if you're single, call one of them right now. Say, here's the evidence that I've seen. Man, here's some of the areas that concern me because I don't see evidence in this area. Would you pray with me? What are those areas that I don't see fruit? That the fruit of the Spirit is maybe missing in your heart. Share that with those people. You can share it with your family, but share it with those accountability people and ask them to pray. Not that you'd get better, right? I, I don't see patience. Help me be better at being patient. I don't see gentleness. Help me be more gentle. Like it's good to work towards those things. And yet we're subtly trusting in ourselves again. No, pray that God would help you trust him, that his spirit would so indwell your heart that he would make you faithful in those areas. That's our hope as believers. That's our hope as Christians. It's the finished work of Christ. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.